Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. It's lovely to have you here. He's already giggling, folks. <laughs> he and I have good banter. We're good friends. So this is going to be a fun podcast, I think. <laughs> Hello, Nikki. How are you today? Yeah, good. So uh, Brett Tattersall is uh, hes the owner of Mako Marine Centre. And they are the painters here at Empire Marina Bobbin Head, our marina, uh, which is 35 minutes north of Sydney. And uh, therefore, they work with us on our hard stand in uh, creating some incredible painting work. So, Brett, tell me, how on earth did you get into painting boats? Oh, wow, that's a long story. I was a plasterer by trade years and years and years ago and I wasn't I was never happy doing the job so I decided to start doing commercial diving. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of a, yeah, all a bit right. Different, yeah. <laughs> so I was actually landed a job doing commercial diving on Sydney Harbour and um, uh, it didn't work out very well. Money wasn't exactly flowing. So, yeah, I ended up meeting the manager of uh, Woolwich Marina and, um, yeah, we got um, chatting one day and one thing led to another and ended up working on a 110-foot um, minesweeper that they oh, built from the inside out. That was the first thing you did? Yeah. Oh, love it. <laughs> so, and then that just continued on and um, then went from... So when you say it continued on, what, what were you actually doing on that 110 foot? So be? filling and fairing and learning how to paint, basically. Yeah. What's fairing? So filling, being putting bog on the boat. Yep. And then reshaping it. Okay. Mm. Much like a surfboard kind of a. Exactly the same. Okay. On a larger scale. Yeah. So you started that. Yep, and finished that probably 12 months later. Continued working for um, Woolwich Marina for a few years. Then went from there to Noakes at North Sydney. Oh, okay. Ran their painting department for a year and a half or so. Yeah. Then I got poached to go to uh, McConaughey Boats. Mm-hmm. And oh, then isn't that interesting? Because John worked for McConaughey Boats as well. He did. He was there before before I was there. He was there. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, and John's our marina director for those who haven't heard John's episode. I think or John's episode may come after this episode as well. So, 
And there I spent seven years running their punning department for them, which is where I did Wild Oats and Alfa Romeo and Leopard 3, Money Penny, all those boats. Wow, really expensive, mm. beautiful racing yachts. Very much. Then I left there and started working for myself and then eventually ended up here with you guys. My I've goodness. been here ever since. There you go. So that hmm. was about, what, 15 years ago or so? I'm guessing roughly. So just before, I think you were here just before we took ownership of the marina. Would that be right? No, I think it was literally just after. Just after. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just after. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. And your business has expanded quite a lot over the years, hasn't it? Um, Correct. You have... Um, you're based here at Empire Marina Bowman Head. Correct. You're also based somewhere else. Where is that? At Barrow Waters on the east side of the marina. We've got the entire east side um, and we have all the trades down there. We're here. We strictly do painting. Okay. So you've diversified your business Correct. at that second location. Definitely. Okay. And when you say, when, when I say you're the painters here, lots of our listeners wouldn't entirely understand exactly what that involves. Can you explain that a little for us? It's it's identical to painting a car. It's just on a much larger scale. We're painting boats instead of cars. We use marine paints instead of automotive paints. So it's, you know, a lot of preparation um, before we even get to the painting stage. But painting a, a reasonably large boat, you know, you could be painting that over three months where a car's a couple of weeks. So it is it is very similar to painting cars, just on a larger scale. But here you've got some other challenges over and above painting a car, haven't you? I mean, we've got things like EPA guidelines we Correct. have to follow and all those sorts of things. So yep. give us some of those challenges that you, I guess especially at this location in National Park, that you have to handle, if you like. I would say probably the biggest challenge is... Well, in, in the car industry, they have spray booths. Mm. We don't have a spray booth. So what we have to do is we have to tent and use our own instruction. And that can be quite difficult when it comes to weather. Um, but, yeah, that's probably the biggest. Um, obviously, we've got to keep the dust down with extraction. Um, and we just have to follow all the rules and regulations of the EPA and national parks and the marina itself. So there's a, there's a lot of things that we have to deal with. Um, once you've got all your policies and procedures in place, it's it flows pretty easily. So tell me about um, a job that you're particularly proud of that you have done as Mako Marine. Oh, wow. I would say probably Calypso. Ah, oh, yes. I'd say. Mm, I remember that transition myself. She went from a fairly dull dark green to this beautiful mm. light blue and you made it look absolute it completely changed mm. the age of the boat in the process didn't it oh it's totally different yeah people still that was done six years ago and people still talk about that constantly well i spoke about it myself in an ocean magazine you did yes article yeah yes. because it was such a huge because i was doing an article about how you don't necessarily have to buy any boat you can do up the one you've got mm. to make it look incredibly different. Mm. 
um, and just to explain, that boat is a Celine, isn't it? Celine. It is, yes. 59-foot Celine. Yeah. So that's a classical uh, trawler-style vessel um, and she's um, she's got a lot of bulk to her, hasn't she? Mm. She's high-sided and yep. um, so changing her hull colour, that's a lot of her. It's a huge amount, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's definitely transformed the boat. Um, but it's also creating a situation where it's quite dark green, which then causes cracks and other problems with the boat. So therefore, changing it to a lighter colour makes a huge difference for uh, longevity. Yes, um, and maintenance. Hundred percent. Yeah, and mm. also heat. Heat on the actual boat, which right? is what causes cracks. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of internally, the boat would be slightly hotter if you've got definitely a dark hull mm. than if you've got a paler hull, and especially you've put a, a like a metallic reflective paint on it now, haven't you? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that blue. would make a huge difference to the heat inside Very much. the boat and the maintenance, the effect of the heat on the hull in terms of maintenance as well. So. Um, I think sometimes we need to look at because painting when you're quoting it can be a little bit, bit of a bill shock moment for the clients because they think, oh, it's just a quick paint job, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Whereas you know the amount of work that is involved in that job. But in actual fact, in doing a really good job of it, they can save themselves a lot of money over long term. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Give me a bit into that. Oh, it's, I mean, look, once a boat starts cracking, I mean, you've got to get to it pretty quickly. If you have a situation where, you know, a 59-foot boat and you end up with cracks all the way down the side of the boat, I mean, that's that's it's a huge job to get rid of those cracks. Mm. But um, obviously the owner actually got to that quite quickly, which meant that it wasn't we didn't have to remove all the old gel coat and paint off the boat back to um, raw glass and start again. Um, so it's really important they don't get to that stage where, um, like I said, fortunately, this um, that particular boat, it didn't actually happen. So as an owner, if, especially if you've got a dark coloured hull, one should keep a close eye on the condition of that. Very much. Hull and Very perhaps much. have someone like yourself check it when it comes up for anti-foul to to just say mm, it might be next year or it might be this year you need this done definitely agree with that definitely they start off as very very tiny little cracks that are very hard to see um, unless you know what you're looking for but um gel coat doesn't have as much high, it doesn't have as much uv protection as what two patch paints do these days so therefore the best thing to do is paint the actual hull. Some hulls are fine with a dark colour. Other hulls you need to change them to a lighter colour and then that way it just it, it stops the heat that it generates, which then causes cracks from expansion and contraction. And that's basically how that works. So, yeah, it's just keeping an eye on it, definitely. Mm. And um, I guess uh, what I, I often feel with boat owners is to listen to experts like yourself mm. um, because sometimes they'll be quite, oh, no, it's fine. Um, but then down the track that costs them an awful lot of money, which you could have actually saved them at that point. So I, th I think that's a really important 
point to get across to owners that regular maintenance and actually listening to the people that do this work is really, really important. So give us a moment that you've had in your career that you've, um, you've wondered, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Because I know out there, the owners out there that pay a lot of money to have their boats painted think, oh, yeah, Brett's, you know, earning an absolute fortune if I'm paying him that much, you know, so on and so forth. They tend to think it's, you know, he's just slapping on a bit of paint and it's all very easy and, and all that sort of thing. And they don't really take into the factors of, of what your business truly involves and mm. the amount of work that goes into it. So what, what are some of those challenges for you? Oh, the man, there's a huge amount of man hours that goes into painting a boat, huge. Materials aren't cheap, that's for sure. But, um, I mean, it's not, it's not easy quoting some of those big jobs because they really are so labour-intensive um, and because you're fighting the weather as well. It's, it's not as easy as what people think it is. Mm. You know, it's, it's not like, even though it's similar to painting a car, it's not the same. Um, Trying to have a situation where, you know, leading a, you know, you lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink, um, I mean, that happens regularly. But the, the people that have actually had boats painted before, they, they, they know mm. and they understand it. So they're quite easy to deal with. Um, but then you get other clients that, you know, they, they think that you're just trying to pull money out of them but it's not. It's not how it is, mm. you know. You're only trying to get the job done for them because that's what it needs. You know, it's easy to sell somebody a job where they, they something that somebody needs. It's hard to sell somebody something that they don't need. Mm -hmm. But we're not selling them anything that they don't need. Mm. Like every boat needs to be painted eventually. But it's not... A situation where I mean I've knocked back jobs before where the clients wanted it painted and I've said well it doesn't need to be painted like I'm not in the business to be taking money off people just for the sake of it but um, because the boating industry the, the boating world is is tiny in terms of your reputation spreading very quickly correct so if you um, are quoting and or perhaps you're you're trying to do it a bit cheaper and therefore the work doesn't last as long or it isn't mm. as good and all those, those sorts of – that gets around in the boating community really quickly, doesn't it? Very much, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's why I just won't do jobs like that. Yeah. We, we'll, I'll, only be able, I'll only do the job if we're allowed to do it properly. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Otherwise there's no point in doing the job. Yeah. It's not fair to us and it's not fair to the owner itself, you know. You expect a paint job to last the minimum of 10 years as long as they keep it waxed, if not more. I've seen paint jobs where they've lasted 15 years. So it's um, yeah, it's just one of those things that you've got to treat the paint right after you've actually had it done by keeping the wax on it. Because it's, you know, we're, what, we're, what we're doing is we're putting UV protection back on it so it's like sunscreen. Yep. But then you want to protect that sunscreen with other sunscreen being wax. So it's maintaining it as well. So let's just talk about that for a moment. Um, how often do you recommend owners should wax their boats? And uh, waxing, we're talking about polishing that detailers would normally do. 
Well, detail is correct. They do that as well. But when they're polishing, they're actually polishing with a machine. Right. When I'm talking about waxing, it's just applying wax like Karate Kid. Okay, so this is different. Wax on, wax off. This is different to the waxing that your detailer does. No, it's, a, it's, it's the same. same. It's the same. It's the same, but they'll yep. also buff it too. Yes. Where you, you don't need to buff um, a fresh paint. Yeah. It's not necessary. No. Um, you just need to keep it waxed, which is really, really important. So, so how often do you recommend they do that? I would say every three months. That often? See, mm. I would have said six months, so there you mm. go. There's a, there's a lesson learnt right there. Yeah, all the superstructure usually gets done every three months or should. If you're um, so, Sorry, listeners, to explain, the superstructure is the, the area above the gunnel, which is, um, I guess, if you're looking at a boat, it's, it's the bit with the windows in, okay, <laughs> and the flybridge above it, if we're going to go down to a real basic way of looking at it, um, whereas below the gunnel is the hull. So if you ask for somebody to... Top sides. So from the waterline to the gunnel is top sides. It's top sides. So gunnel, and and this this is, so see, that's where it gets really confusing. As an owner who's never owned a boat before and they say to you, oh, we're going to polish your top sides, (laughs) you kind of think, oh, that's the windows and the top bit, right? But it's not. That's the superstructure. (laughs) So... (laughs) And this is why I do this podcast for really simple little things like that. So let's just go into the bits of the boat for polishing. All right. Explain that to me now, Brett. So from the waterline to the top, well, from the waterline to the gunnel is your top sides. So that usually gets done once every 12 months because it needs to be done when it's lifted. Otherwise, you've got to try and do it in the water, which is a little bit difficult. Then you've got the superstructure. So from, as you explained, from the gunnel upwards. Oh, the gun gunnel, by the way, is it's spelled gun whale, mm. and it's it's kind of the line that you see at the top of the hull. That's I think that's the easiest way to explain it on an audio basis. I'm drawing. Correct. I'm, yes. I'm, you know, my hands are moving at the moment, but that's not really helping you. I know that because <laughs> you're just listening. <laughs> but um, yeah, the gunnel is. Um, kind of imagine where if you're standing on the deck, um, the edge of the deck, that's the gunnel. That's the, the rubbing that's strip. That's the closest we can get to it in terms of explaining it verbally. Or the rubbing strip that runs around the side of the boat to protect it. Yes. Yeah. So and then you've got all the superstructure above that being you can break it up into cabin sides, aft deck area, flybridge, um, forward brow, um, deck, deck non-skid. Uh, but it's all the superstructure. So anything that's got a glossy surface on the superstructure should be done as well. But that should be done every three months. So did you hear all those terms that Brett just used that everybody else is going, what is he talking about? Well, <laughs> it's okay. At some stage we're going to do a podcast when we're going to go through terms of phrase used in boating. <laughs> and in actual fact, I'm going to interview Brett after this one. Give me a few. <laughs> 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 so, because it, it it really is a different world when you come into owning a boat. Um, there are a whole bunch of words you have to learn, a whole bunch of um, new things you need to know. Um, and I do recommend uh, when you purchase a boat that you talk to people who already own boats, you talk to people that 
look after you, boats, um, people like Brett, to actually understand what is the best way of looking after your boat because it truly will save you a lot of money in the long time, long term if you're maintaining her really, really well. So, Brett, can you... Working in the boating industry is completely different in many ways to other industries. What do you love about being in the boating industry? I would have to say being by the water all day, every day is pretty nice. You can't really beat that, can't you? No. Ten steps, well, my office is ten steps away from the water's edge with 200 beautiful boats sitting out the front. So you can't really beat that, can you? No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) And why do you think, I mean, were you... I mean, you, you jumped from plastering to diving to painting. That was a bit of a jump. Yeah, it was an interesting jump. Yeah. It um, it just happened like that, really. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's weird how it happened. It just happened. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I was chasing it. It just, I, I fell into it. Yeah. And I've, that's, that's where I've stayed. so much in the boating industry. We keep getting that term mm. on this podcast. I fell into it. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting. Mm. So you were working on some amazing boats, uh, painting for seven years for another company. You then decided to start your own company. Correct. How was that? How did that decision come about for you? Um, I was probably working about 18 hours a day. And ended up getting quite sick when mm-hmm. I left McConaughey's. And, um, you know, that was, I don't regret anything. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing company that I worked for and had a lot of op- great opportunities there. Um, but, you know, eventually your body can only handle so much in a nutshell. So I decided to, to work for myself and, um, yeah, I've never looked back. There never you go. Never looked back. So mm. how did you start up your company? Do you remember? Oh, it was... Kind of a bit of a quick decision, I suppose. When I first got sick, I thought I can't do this anymore. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, so I just became a sole trader and um, started doing jobs for myself and then eventually ended up here with you guys. So when you first started, were you going out to different locations Correct. and working on boats in those locations as a contractor? Correct. Yeah. So... Yeah, and, and I did that for a couple of years and then um, yeah, then ended up um, down here and met John, yeah. spoke to John on the phone first, John Aller, and um, yeah, so there was a job that um, that he kind of pushed my way yeah. and um, then that went from that job to another job to another job and I was only bringing boats here at that point of time and then um, after a while I became a tenant and I've been here ever since. Never looked back. Never look back. So, I mean, you're a tenant of um, two locations now. Correct. And how do you manage that back and forth between the two? It's a little bit difficult, but it you've just got to have the right staff. Yeah. It's, it's, the staff are everything. Yeah. Without If you haven't got good staff, you've, you've got buckleys of a chance of of it working. Yeah. You know, it is, and it is. It's very difficult, you know, because you're dealing with so many different issues on so many different levels, 
and both sites are completely different. Um, so, yeah, it's it's challenging. We're your favourite, aren't we? 100%. <laughs> That's why I spend most of my time here. <laughs> well, as a marina, it's really important for us to have tenants that do great work because even though you're a tenant at the marina, the clients will always look upon you as part of us. Yes. So um, if something goes wrong with what you're doing, we tend to cop a bit of that as Definitely. well as you. Well, they um, never get any complaints about me. <laughs> but uh, so, so we love having you here because your work is really great. And, Thank um, you. Therefore, that assists in our reputation as well as yours. Um, and that, I think that's really important. And the other thing that I find really important, marinas, as far as contractors and tenants go, tenants especially, is that it, you, you all have your own businesses, but we need to help somehow keep you all happy with each other so that, you know, the best outcome occurs for clients at the marina and for boats coming into the marina to have their works done. Um, they can be tricky sometimes because there's some characters in the boating industry, but um, but it's uh, I think it's something that marinas need to be aware of. You need to be careful with your tenants. You need to be careful which tenants you select for your marina and also that you keep an eye on how they're all behaving together so that... Um, and that's part of the, the marina manager's role and part of the marina owner's role to to sustain those relationships and make sure it's it's all working well. I think that's actually something that people don't necessarily from the outside coming in realise that is actually going on within a marina. Well, look, I would say it probably happens in every industry really. I mean there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, Obviously, the clients have no idea about, mm. and it is very challenging to to try and work in with other trades, with um, you know obviously the larger jobs um, that we have going because there's just so many other dynamics that are involved in the job that the owner you know doesn't even really need to know about. To mm. be quite honest, I mean it's probably best that they just you know give you the boat and you make it look amazing and give it back to them at the end of the day. Mm. And everybody's happy mm. at the right price as well. But, um, yeah, there's a lot involved definitely with um, with the larger jobs because you've got shipwrights trying to work around painters, painters trying to work around shipwrights, mechanics, trimmers, which doesn't really normally come until the end of the day. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot involved. Electricians as well. Mm. Yeah, so... And we have all of those here, so we've got... We do. Yeah, the full full mm. works, which mm. is good. So, yeah, Brett, not... how have you become this handsome? Honey, <laughs> 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 you can answer that. <laughs> I will never forget, actually. I took my girlfriends out on the boat one day and uh, Jason and Brett came and helped us leave the berth by taking the to, taking the lines off for me so that I didn't have to do that and drive the boat because my girlfriends who were on board weren't boaties. So um, so I was driving the boat out and 
Brett and Jason came I remember and, that. and helped us leave, as it mm. were, by ta- taking the lines off. And one of my girlfriends on the boat said, oh, my God, Nikki, you work with these guys every day? That's what I call good looking. <laughs> and I have noticed the boating industry is full of good looking people. We attract and even when I interviewed, um, that was Atlanta, wasn't it, at, Prince, at Princess, yeah. she made the comment that the, the owners of boats were good looking as well. I think it's it's a grooming thing. Maybe we, <laughs> we look after our boats. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether I agree with that one. At the same time, what do you think? Possibly. <laughs> all right. So we've all we've all had our challenges in the, in what we do in business, and one of them can be unrealistic ex- expectations of clients. Right? Oh, that's a daily thing. <laughs> I'm talking, um, you know, have you ever been presented with a boat that was just beyond? Correct, yes, yes. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, which is really sad when we see it. They've just been left to and not cared for in any way and then perhaps a new owner takes on that boat or Pain. The, or the current owner mm. decides they're actually going to do something with it. Have you ever been that? That doctor that has to go to the client and say, I'm sorry, we really can't do anything with this one. Uh, Look, you can fix anything, but it depends on how much they want to spend, really. You can have boats that are too far gone. It's just not worth spending the money on it, which that's happened plenty of times. Um, You know, and you you have to... You have to be honest with people and just let them know you're going to waste your money on it. I have never had it happen here at Empire, but at Barrera, yes, I've had it happen there multiple times because so many boats get left on the moorings down there and don't get looked after at all. Um, And there's a fair few wooden boats down there too. So if you don't look after a wooden boat, it it rots, falls apart, and then it costs an astronomical amount of um, money to fix them and it's, it's... Certain boats are just not worth it. Yeah. So when you're looking at somebody that's purchasing a boat and they perhaps don't know a great deal about boats but Mm. they'd like to own one, are there some real pointers you can give them in terms of um, uh, some things they can look at obviously from your side of the maintenance of the boat that they can spot when they... Oh, look, uh, definitely getting a survey done is, is the most important thing get done when you're purchasing a boat get it lifted and have a surveyor come in and actually survey it yeah yeah definitely that's that's a given um, on every boat because um, i've seen people that have bought boats that have bought them off ebay sight unseen and it's just ends up in tears yeah i saw one of those posted on um i think it was on facebook the other day and it, it was they bought it on grays or one of the auction sites i don't know which one mm. um and it had said no lifting or no slipping. Well, as soon as it says that, don't go anywhere near it because that guarantees that there's something really <laughs> wrong with it that they don't want you to know. So please don't do that, peeps. All right. Um, but, yeah, getting, getting a boat surveyed and then 
when you get that boat surveyed, there, there will be things that will come back on the boat that need fixing or need... need. Oh, definitely. when you're buying a second-hand boat, you're buying a second-hand boat. And, and I think there is an expectation in current buyers that they can buy a boat that's 30 years old, but it's got to be perfect. <laughs> it's not yeah, that's going not... to be, all right? Mm. But then go to experts like Brett and say, how much is this going to cost me? And then you can get some insight as to uh, what that boat is is genuinely going to cost you mm. over time. Because um, people like Brett are very happy to do that, aren't you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, get your survey done and um, then we have a look at the list of what needs to be done and then you, you get prices for everything. Mm. So, yeah, no, it's, it's anything can be fixed. It just depends on whether it's worth it or not at mm. the end of the day. Because every boat has a different value on it. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So if someone wanted to do what you do, what would you say would be the path, best pathway to doing that? Go back to uni. Don't do it. <laughs> That's funny. Go back to uni. Don't do it. That's not. Become what you're a doctor. Supposed to say, Brett. You're supposed to say something really encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> wow, working for the right company is really important. Definitely, and um, you know, working with the right people—people people that actually do know what they're doing. There's a lot of people in this industry that have been doing painting for six months or twelve months and think they can paint anything it's not the way it works you know after you've done your trade for for four years you're not you don't become good at anything for at least 10 years that's my opinion on it and from what i've seen in the past um so yeah you just got to work really hard like at anything if you want to be good at something you've got to almost live and breathe it you know um i mean i lived and breathed it for years and years and years because i loved it Preferably not breathing in the actual paint. No, 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 care. definitely not. No, you got to wear a mask. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then it got to the stage where, you know, I, I couldn't be on the tools because I had to work on the business, not in it. Yeah. And um, it was an interesting um, transition because when I started to, when I got to that point where I had to get off the tools and work on the business, it was, um, I felt like I wasn't doing enough in the bit like on the, in the business yeah. I didn't like I felt bad because I wasn't actually on the tools working with the boys yes um, even though I overlooked the jobs and I'm still very heavily involved obviously in the business um, it was still a situation where I just felt like I wasn't doing enough work with the boys mm. but um, so I felt bad um, or girls or girls or girls yeah yep yeah yep the team yes <laughs> So, um, yeah, so it was, but it was, it was worthwhile um, doing it. But, um, yeah, it, it did take a bit of, um, bit of a transition period Do you for miss me. that? Do you miss being on the tools more? Now? Yeah. No, not no. at all. No, no. I enjoy, like, when it's really cold in winter, it's kind of nice being <laughs> in the office. <laughs> you have got a nice office. You've even got a nice bistro that brings you your lunch and everything, haven't you? I do, and, yeah. and I really feel half the time like I should be bringing them their lunch rather than them bringing. 
Um, <laughs> He's talking because it's sometimes me. <laughs> it feels weird when when Nikki brings my lunch to me. I feel like I should be bringing Nikki a lunch. <laughs> but you see, that's that's how I am. I you without people like you, my business wouldn't exist. So and vice versa. Yeah. Mm. So I think we all have to continuously respect and support each other. And that oh, is 100%. the little things like mm. bring you your lunch. Oh, look, <laughs> I pay for it. I don't get it for free, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> so I'm really enjoying this chat. I hope you are too. I just thought I'd break it up for a moment to pop a bit of champagne with you. Oh, damn, I don't have it here right now, but... Oh, goodness, I love a good bottle of Pomery, don't you? Um, Pomery Champagne are very kind and uh, sponsor this podcast. And we love sharing a bit of that stuff on the boat. So big thanks to Pomery Australia. We love your champagne. Thank you, Pomery Champagne and Ross and Whitcroft, for the wonderful things that you provide for us to give to our podcast guests after they've been here. I'm looking forward to seeing Brett in my cap. That'll be good. (laughs) Nice. So, Brett, are you a boater? Yes, I, I, I do go boating. I do have my own boat. It's not a large boat. Which shows we don't make a lot of money out of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I love boating. Um, you know, it's it's the good thing is that when you when you leave, you know, land being um, either your dock or um, birth, your uh, boat ramp, it's you know you're leaving all your worries behind. So it's um, yeah, it's just amazing being on the water. Really beautiful. Where is um, – give me a, a boating experience you've had recently that really is, you know, wow, this was fantastic. Does it have to be recently or can we go back a little bit? You can go back a little bit. Oh, Bora Bora. Oh, oh that's Bora. that's just – yeah, that's not fair. I, I've, I'm, I've never been to Bora Bora, so that's not even fair talking about that. I didn't know, I didn't know that you have No, I've never been to Bora Bora. So what, what was so wonderful about Bora Bora? Oh, it's just amazing. Absolutely beautiful place, you know, being able to swim um, with sharks without being eaten alive. <laughs> um, it's, we are it's, Australian. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Um, the black tip reef sharks. Um, manta rays will climb on you. Um, that's amazing. You get, you know, with manta rays climbing on you because they're so used to being fed by humans over there. So they flap around and climb all over you. And um, yeah, it's uh, the crystal clear water. That's incredible. Absolutely the most amazing place I've ever been to. Beautiful. So I'd get your little bucket, you know, you get everything in your bucket list. Yes. And I'd pop that one in there. Okay. All right, I'm going to add that to my bucket list, boating in Bora Bora. Add that to your bucket list, people. It's a good one. And closer to home, have you had a really nice experience with boats? Yes, I would say um, up the coast, which is Fraser Island's one place. That's beautiful. Um, Swansea. 
So last time I went boating, we were um, went outside the heads at Swansea, and um, that was we saw a pot of dolphins. There was thousands of dolphins, so we caught up to them, and yeah, they were wow. jumping beside the boat, behind the boat, in front of the boat. Absolutely incredible. Really, really beautiful place up at Swansea. But um, getting up a bit further north, yeah, Fraser Island's definitely beautiful. Absolutely amazing. The west side of Fraser Island, like you can catch uh, juvenile marlin about 100 metres off the west side of um, the beach. So, yeah, it's an amazing place. Yeah, because you're a bit of a fisherman, aren't you? Yeah, but not very good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we call it fishing, not catching. That's correct, yeah. (laughs) I'd like to change it to catching, but... Because it actually sounds, I think it sounds better than fishing, actually. Catching. Yeah. Yeah. Makes more sense, doesn't it, really? It does, yeah. Yeah. I'd catch a lot more. Yeah. 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 (laughs) If we go with that positive outset right from the start that we're calling it catching, not fishing. That's right, yeah. Then we're probably going to get more results, aren't we? But that's exactly We're manifesting immediately by saying catching. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Be the fish. Uh, so it's been lovely talking to you today, Brett. You and I have good banter and when we see each other on the marina. <laughs> we love having you here as uh, the painters Thank at you. Empire Marina Bombing Hedge and um, I love seeing the transformations that you make on boats, um, literally taking them, making them look younger. If you only if only could do it with me as well, Brett, that would be great too. <laughs> You take about 10 years off a boat usually. I wish you could do that with me as well. That would be so good. But, but yes, I I do love seeing the transformations that you create on the hard stand and uh, the quality of your work is absolutely fantastic. So I really appreciate you coming in to chat with us today. Thank you. It's been great being here. Good, good. And uh, we hope to see you transforming more boats in the future and we do every day (laughs) thanks so much brett and we'll see you on the water soon So as the boat princess, I shall be traveling over to Auckland Boat Show in March 2022. I know somebody's got to do it, okay? It might as well be me and Pip, who is, of course, my podcast producer. She has to come with me. She feels really sad about that, but she's got to do it. So um, we will be going across to interview as many people as we possibly can at that boat show. So if you are keen to be interviewed at that boat show, can you please contact me on my website, which is theboatprincess.com. And I'd also love to hear from you if you're interested in us organizing an event for the women in the boating industry whilst we're there, because I think that would be a really lovely thing to do. Perhaps a nice lunch or afternoon drinks together. What do you reckon, girls? So um, again, please contact me through the website. I would love to hear from you, theboatprincess.com.